Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. A great jazz dancer has a strong sense of self. A great jazz dancer isn't afraid to get dirty. Jazz is an opportunity for everyone to bring their own culture, their own style. It's really what they feel in, in their heart and their soul. Great jazz dancer knows how to focus, how to get the audience to look at them and say, this is what I want you to look at. It's like the great jazz musicians. There are a lot of people that can hit the notes, but can they put it together? Can they make gumbo with it? Can they judge it? You know, that's jazz dancing. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the remarkable story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African-Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and I call this episode Exploring the Roots of Broadway Dance. My guests today are the creators of the acclaimed new documentary film Uprooted, The Journey of Jazz Dance, which has been winning awards at film festivals around the world and in the U.S. can currently be seen on HBO Max. All three of them are from the U.K., all three of them have extensive backgrounds in dance, and with Uprooted, they are all making their feature-length film debuts. The film's director is Kadifa Wong, who, after training as a dancer and actress, became frustrated by the lack of opportunity for performers of color, but soon realized that her true passion lay behind the camera. Producer Lisa Donmal-Reeve migrated to film after a very successful 20-year career as a performer, including playing many leading roles on the West End. And the movie was conceived by dancer, choreographer, and educator Zach Nemerin, who has appeared in 17 West End musicals and is the head of jazz dance at the Millennium Performing Arts School in London. To create the film, they interviewed more than 70 experts on the history and the many roots and branches of jazz dance, including Debbie Allen, Andy Blankenbuehler, Graziella Danielle, George Faison, Thomas DeFrance, Karen Hubbard, Salima Knight, Jerry Mitchell, Travis Payne, Arlene Phillips, Cheetah Rivera, and Susan Stroman, to name only a few. And along the way, they explore where jazz dance came from and how it became the dance language of Broadway. Here we go. 
Welcome to Broadway Nation. It's so great to have you here as my guest today. What's so unique about this documentary, which is fantastic, by the way, is that it's a film entirely made by dancers. And I think that's quite unusual. So I'd love to hear each one of you, your dance background prior to becoming filmmakers. I still am in the dance world and I'm choreographing a lot, working as a teacher as well and just continuing on from my almost 20-year career as a West End touring worldwide musical theatre performer. Kadifa? Uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a displaced dancer in that I could never find a home for me in the British dance industry. But I trained at the same place as Lisa and Zach at London Studio Centre and tried to get into the contemporary world. I was more of a Cunningham disciple. Jazz wasn't on my radar much except to watch it and enjoy it because of the type of jazz that we had in the UK. So yeah, it just never really got going for me. So hence why I'm in film now. And Lisa? I love dance and I fell in love with tap first of all when I was about six or seven and then I was very lucky to be exposed to, we didn't live that far from London so my family used to take us to like shows and I saw Seen in the Rain and 42nd Street and I was absolutely like blown away by that and at that age absolutely there was no other option, that's what I was going to do. So as soon as possible I went to college which like Kadifa said it was a London Studio Centre, I'm slightly senior of them and so I was there first and just trained in everything it was very much like the kids from fame kind of building and there were so many people and there were so many different classes so I immersed myself in that all I wanted to do was musical theatre but I am so tall at the time there weren't that many musicals that really ensemble wise wanted tall dancers I struggled a bit what felt like ages it was actually only two years so I did a lot of what we call commercial work you know which is like trade shows and modeling which was really fun but all I ever wanted to do was eight shows a week Creative View was my big break, thanks to Susan Stroman. And then the rest, as they say, is history. And then I moved to New York, carried that on, but then shifted to film in 2016, luckily, because then Zach was like, wait a minute, Lisa does film. And that's how we all got connected, because I knew Zach from Millennium, because I used to teach there as well before I left for New York. How did you come together to make this documentary? What brought the three of you together to do this? So I decided to do a degree aged 35, I was in Jerry Mitchell's West End show, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, at the time. And I just decided to do a degree because Millennium Performing Arts, the college that I teach at, the college that I trained at, started up a degree. And I wanted in on the action. And I chose to do my thesis, my dissertation on jazz dance and how the people that I've worked with influenced me as a performer because my remit was define self as an artist. You know those conversations that you just have in dressing rooms? where you're kind of talking about something and I was like, do you know that actually comes from that? Talking about some, I don't know, choreography step that we're all watching on YouTube or something. And commercial dance is so popular at the moment. Hip hop is so popular. And I was watching this group of people dancing and I just didn't see that they knew the connection from what they were doing to what... Where did it come from? Yeah. And sadly, I kind of thought, because I'm lucky that I trained the way I trained because I got a lot of this and I'm half marine as well so I'm an island off Africa so we kind of have the same vibe that my family do anyway my dad's side of the family and it just struck me that so few people in the professional setting of musical theatre and dance even hip-hop the hip-hop artists themselves don't know what they're doing <laughs> it was just confusing to me I was like why don't you know what what is going wrong with the system that isn't being handed down 
Who are you having this conversation with? Oh, with cast members, with Kadifa, who was my dresser at the time in the show. And I was saying, I really want to do this little mini documentary about me and jazz dance and how the people that I've worked with have influenced me and influenced my art form as an emerging choreographer. And that's how it started. And Kadifa was like, hang on a minute, I have now retrained in New York as a film director. And she was like, oh, <laughs> let's do this. So we just hit it off. I mean, I've known Kadifa for about a thousand years and it stemmed from that kind of genesis point. And then me and Kadifa worked together finding ideas because I had gone, oh, let's expand this, make it for real. Little did Kadifa and I know that this making it for real would be all encompassing, but exciting at the same time. Kadifa, I'm sure you've got more to say on that. Let this be a lesson to all people in the West End out there that your dressers are valuable people. I remember starting out as a dresser on Mary Poppins and Zach was one of the few performers in that show that spoke to dressers like they were just on a level and equal. So we became friends from that reason. So I think it's always significant to mention because the amount of times you're treated as invisible in shows when you're collecting costumes and stuff. Anyway, I digress. That friendship, as Zach said, a thousand years ago has stood the test of time. And Zach is, to be quite blunt, one of my favourite dancers on this planet. So to capture him on film was just fun. But it got to a point where we knew, or I knew what my limits were as a director and said to Zach, I think if we're going to do this, we need to do this properly. Let's look for a producer. And I think that was the blessing that Lisa had was that she encouraged us to think bigger and pushed us to a place that I just wouldn't have gone on my own. And so when you think about this organic process, Process, that's what I think is magic about the three of us was it was this right person at the right time to push you further than you could have gone. You know, that has been the kind of beautiful genesis of this whole production, each person pushing the other person forward. So Lisa, when you came into the picture, what was your response to what was presented to you and how that then led to what the film became? Yeah, I remember I was in Miami actually teaching. I'd left New York and had moved west but was in Miami. And we had a Skype and I saw Zach and met Kadifa for the first time and Zach explained his idea and I just thought it could be bigger as in to attract a bigger audience and just be broader as in tell the whole story. Because in that meeting, I remember you both talked to me about Lindsay and Wendy's book, Jazz Dance, A History of the Roots to the Branches. And I remember saying, oh, that's a great title, Roots to the Branches, which was very nearly the title. And I just was like, let's go broader. Let's tell the whole story. And we all went away and thought about how we'd like to work together and if we'd like to work together. And the, the beauty of it was we were all in this kind of same place. I hadn't made a documentary or a feature before. Neither had Kadifa or Zach, but we were ready. And we also felt like we really knew this subject matter and were passionate about telling this whole story even though from a very naive standpoint at that place, we were just like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it's very impressive that this is the first movie, at least the first full-length movie for all three of you. Really amazing how accomplished it is in every department. Let's talk about the title. Where does the title Uprooted come from? Well, it was originally Transmission, A History of the Roots to the Branches. And then Kadifa, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have the memory of you going, I'm not convinced. I'm just not convinced about it. And we were like, okay, you know, let's see. And during the final edit week, because when we were brainstorming different names, and I do thank God Kadifa was like, I'm not convinced about this because then COVID hit and transmission was used in a very different, you know, in the way that it's supposed to be used, but connected to a virus and a pandemic. So I'm glad we've switched. Talk just a little bit about the book that sort of inspired you from the beginning. What is that book? Yeah, there is a 
book that Lindsay Garino and Wendy Oliver edited together, Jazz Dance, A History of the Roots and the Branches, was a major influence for me in this whole process because that's the, the main book that I used for my dissertation. And within that book, it goes through almost all, maybe not everything, but it goes through almost all the generations, almost all of the different genre that is included under the umbrella of jazz dance. But it's still a contested book. Like our film, we couldn't capture everything. There are so many voices under the jazz dance umbrella that haven't necessarily been heard or haven't necessarily hit the history books. And this book explores the known people that we all consider as jazz artists, but it also has interjections of the lesser known people who possibly could be the people that it all started with in the first place. I say possibly, did really. So it was a real kind of an eye-opener for not only me, but I think everyone. When Lisa said explain the whole history, that's when we really took this book to heart and decided, oh, maybe we should include as much of the history as possible and go as far back as we possibly could. So to actually have over 400 years of American history in an hour and a half is is a big ask, actually. And Kadifa and Joan Gil Amarim, the editor, did a wonderful job of almost dissecting all of the interviews that we had achieved, related it to the chronological order of time, all the decades and all the different eras that have passed, and worked their magic in creating a viewable storyline for not only just dancers, but normal people. I say normal people, not non-theatrical dance type people. (laughs) And actually, it's not just a dance movie. It's a social, political, historical movie, I believe, as well. There's a quote in the movie, if I have it right, that says, jazz dance history is the history of America. And having viewed the film, I think that's absolutely true. One of the challenges of your film is to identify where does jazz dance begin? What did you determine in doing this research and what do you tell us in the film? What are the earliest roots of jazz dance? I wouldn't necessarily pinpoint it to a specific place because throughout the transatlantic slave trade, there were so many different people from so many different parts of Africa and beyond being sold in the slave trade via the Middle Passage and everything we know about that. So there are so many different influences. I would just call it African dance. I know one of our experts says the Shika dances from the Nigerian people. Yes, that is a massively important part because actually you see that in all the pop videos now. You see the Gweta, you see the Zibit, you see the, the network, and you see all of these different dances happening now. So yes, it has a major African influence through the troubles and the strife of the people at the time. You only have to hear the story about Batanjuba and you see the struggle of the black people and the enslaved Africans, obviously, and the passing of information, the passing of possible plots to get away from this, the passing of revolution was all done through rhythm and syncopation. So along with African, it has to be rhythm and syncopation because that's just inherent to the African soul. Like it may not be in the Western world as much. It is inherent because we are all born listening to our mother's heartbeat. That's a syncopated beat. It's there. But I guess rhythm and syncopation, polyrhythms is a little bit more 
sophisticated, I guess, in African music, in African movement. And that syncopation, by way of the transatlantic slave trade, just got distributed through the body. That turned into Pat and Juba. And then that interplays with other cultures that migrated to America, like Irish clog dances. That kind of influenced how tap emerged onto the scene. So you've got many different named dance styles that are there that you actually see in hip-hop and perform today that have just transcended and actually are a natural evolution to its original history. And I think that's another point of the film is that there are many people using these techniques or these styles, but are they actually attributing where these things, these techniques, these styles come from? And do they even know? And do they even know? Or is it just something that they see on TikTok or, or Instagram? For me and Kadifa and all of us, actually, it's all about respecting the place from where it came from to begin with not appropriating but if you attribute and you say this is the influence this may be where this step that i have choreographed nothing is new under the sun as they say came from to begin with so it really is about attribution and the cultural differences colliding together which is what happens in america it's many different cultures many different creeds many different peoples coming together do we steal from each other? I don't know. Do we appropriate each other? I don't know. That's something I wrestle with every day in my teaching and in, in this podcast as well, is how do we determine what was cultural appropriation as opposed to what was natural, healthy, artistic exchange, the way all art seems to happen? Theater, dance, music has always been a melding and a mixing of influences from mm. multiple sources and multiple cultures. So how did you approach that in your film to try to differentiate between those things? And is it possible? I think the difference between appropriation and our original title, Transmission, that's where that comes into play. So as long as you attribute, as long as you respect, as long as you, you say where these things come from or you say what has been a major influence, that shows respect to the original places where these movements or these dances or these ways of choreographing comes from. So it then is appreciation not necessarily appropriation but it is a fine line because everyone will have a different view on it everyone will and it depends how strong your borders are within that kind of question when you bring many of those different views to light in the film, you have different perspectives from different people, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah, we wanted to make sure that every voice was heard because a lot of the times in jazz, the voices aren't. And even within the three of us, our jazz upbringing, our dance upbringing was so very different. And we had different experiences through life, through dance. To get rid of that just felt like a disservice to the entire kind of dance ideology, dance way of life, whatever you want to call it. So I think it was important that we acknowledge that many things can be true all at the same time. How does jazz dance arrive on Broadway and become really synonymous with Broadway dance? How did that come to be? I think Robin G says it, America is the melting pot. And when you get lots of different groups of people amalgamating together, sharing ideas together, yes, appropriating ideas from each other, and of that specific era when jazz music was so popular and so well-used nationwide, worldwide, actually, of course, there's going to be a natural progression from the cultural standpoint to 
is it wrong to say artistic standpoint or, or, or a commercial standpoint? So if something is popular, it will be taken. If something is popular and loved by the people, it will be taken and will be put in front of people's eyes that appreciate it. It's a natural progression, I think, of the era. And did you identify one particular moment when that happened, that jazz, dance and Broadway really came together? Yeah, we identified the cakewalk in the film as that moment where something is created and is brought to Broadway and kind of acts like the foundation just in terms of formation and in terms of choreography, which I think really interesting that it's lasted that sort of test of time. Despite now saying with musicals like Hamilton, it's more of a hip hop kind of choreography style, but the formulations and the kind of chorus formation still won't really change. So I think that's really interesting that we still have that kind of history. But yeah, Thomas de France identifies the cakewalk as that moment and that spark of something. And what was the cakewalk? The cakewalk, quite simply, was a enslaved African movement. It was a movement that they did to actually take the mickey can I say take the piss sure. out of their slave owners and dress up as their slave owners and actually mimic how they perceived these white, rich, owned people to be. And so they're making fun of their owners. They're making fun of their owners. And as Thomas DeFrance says, it was like a moment where something that was a cultural act of play, act of kind of like resistance, became something that people watched watched as a show, as it were, for their slave owners, masters, however you want to call them, terrible people. So that movement then turned into something that people could watch and it was used as a form of resistance, artistic resistance. And then it becomes a worldwide sensation, oddly. I think what's interesting is when you look at it in a greater world context and you think about masquerade and then you kind of go to Brazil and you go to the Caribbean for carnival and how on every continent it develops differently, but it came from the same idea of, as Zach says, artistic resistance, but how each culture through their different experiences formulated and how we're still forming these kind of artistic resistance. So it's a really interesting kind of phenomenon that we see worldwide. Don't go away. Broadway Nation will be back right after this short break. Hi, this is David Armstrong, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Factor as a sponsor to Broadway Nation this week. This spring, you can eat stress-free with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. You can choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or my personal choice, Vegan and Veggie. You can also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunches, snacks, and beverages that'll help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. If you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. These are no-fuss, no-muss meals, and Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. You simply heat and savor the good stuff. And you can tailor it all to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can pause or reschedule the deliveries to suit your lifestyle. 
Factor is your solution for fast, premium meals without the need for cooking. And we're celebrating Earth Day all month long at Factor, so look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com BN50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box. That's code BN50, as in Broadway Nation, BN50 at factormeals.com slash BN50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Do it now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How does tap dance tie into this? Is tap dance the same as jazz dance? How do we differentiate between the two things? I think it was interesting for this film. We didn't focus too much on tap dance because we knew there was a tap dance documentary coming. And so we covered the very, very basics of tap dance in that it was a mix of juba and a mix of Irish club dancing. And I think it's fascinating when you think about what was happening and how these two cultures mixed and how there's always been an affinity between Black and Irish cultures and how we've created some really, really interesting artistic moments, cultural moments, culinary moments. And coming from the Caribbean, you really do see that mix of Irish and Black, which is where my family's from. And so we didn't delve too much into tap, but the one bit we did have was a bit with Gregory Hines because he was the one person I really wanted and just knew I could never get and had to find a way to get him into this film and get him to speak about tap and how it relates to the social structure of America. And that's all we did. Hopefully people are watching watch our film and go, ah, I can now go and watch American Tap and learn some more in greater detail. So these roots now start to grow in separate directions. I would identify them. And a lot of the experts in your film fall into these four camps as well. There's the Broadway practitioners, the Broadway thread, the dance technique teachers who have taken jazz. At some point, people absorbed and took jazz and added to it and turned it into techniques that we study in school. Then there's the vernacular dancers, the street dancers, the people that are still doing the social dancing. And then there's the academics. What did you find were the major differences in the points of view on jazz between these four camps? How would you define those? I would say the choreographers of Broadway, the good choreographers of Broadway, have this knowledge, a good basic or advanced even understanding of the history of what it is that they do. They know where it came from. The the elders tend to know where it comes from. The younger generation of choreographers, I guess some don't, but that's just, you know, the nature of the beast. Studio teachers, again, it's the same kind of concept. Some people, generally speaking, older practitioners understand it, but don't necessarily slip in those names whilst they're teaching on the daily. Vernacular dancers will know the history, but won't dance in the same way that a Broadway West End dancer will move. And the academics absolutely will know the history, but sometimes are restrained by academic 
boards or academic kind of situations on what they can teach. So it turns into a tick boxing exercise on what information gets passed across, because what is jazz dance is such a vast question that, you know, we can all ask ourselves, but there is no real answer because jazz dance today is such an amalgamation and a, a bringing together that is rooted in African dance that because it's gone on for so long, it's really hard to kind of pinpoint who owns something or who started something apart from what we call the founding fathers, mothers who created those techniques that we all know. Jack Cole, Matt Mattox, Luigi, Fossey, Dunham, Giordano. So it's hard to pinpoint these originators, but we understand through American history that black people have always been suppressed, oppressed, and didn't have access to courts of law back in those days when those techniques were being codified. What we now know as theatrical jazz ended up being created predominantly by white men because they were the people that had access to be able to write things down and actually make it legal. Did I deviate from a question just no you answered it perfectly (laughs) i was going to say though coming back on academics even though they were all as you say in the same sort of similar strand in that film that the differences within the academic community in dance and the debates that were happening were really interesting because some believe that dance is political and some were absolutely horrified that you would put any kind of political kind of stance on dance and i just thought it was a really interesting fact that within the groups there was still a huge disparity of knowledge not in a good versus bad but just a breadth of experience and opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of like that. That's what makes it so interesting. And that's why this conversation can go on and on, because we have to say that was the point of the film, of having so many voices to have that conversation. Because the more you talk about it, the more you're open to hearing someone else's point of view, because people, I have to say, in the world right now, don't really listen to other people's point of view. They just have their own and think they're right. So I think this is what's exciting. Even if you don't agree, it's still someone else's opinion. It's a bit like having the codifiers in our film. We know some people don't agree with that, but they're relevant to their history. They exist. And some people, that was their experience growing up of jazz. So of course we're going to include that just like we went back to the roots. Let me just make sure I understood what you're saying. Some people didn't think those people should be included in a film about jazz. Why? What was the controversy there? It's a little bit like Karen Hubbard says, you have the original vernacular people that believe jazz is the social world, the community of where it started, the Lindy. And then because it did evolve um, and get pulled into the studio, those kind of vernacular jazz people don't recognize the studio stuff as jazz. And that's where there's that discussion. I don't think it's a disagreement. I think it's different opinion and that's what makes the world go round but then I will hark back to what Debbie Allen says at the end everything has to evolve and by not allowing it to evolve you're stuck so even though I'm not a big fan of reality tv shows or tiktok or anything but it still brings it to a broader audience and that's just my opinion it doesn't mean I'm right or wrong or they're right or wrong so I think that's what's interesting and that's what's supposed to be interesting and I think what you did in the film was bring that sort of 360 degree of what jazz is could be has been will be all those voices coming together did create this full picture People all over the world love jazz dance. They just don't realize that they love jazz dance. In the same way that no one owns jazz, no one's really making up anything that didn't come from someplace. A lot of the times the roots aren't acknowledged and a lot of people don't even know that the movement they're doing is stemming from that place. with jazz and dance and music here in this country was actually mirroring what was happening in the country historically, politically. 
Jazz is the history of America. It is that African heartbeat that has defined the style of America to the world. Who are some of the people from history that you were able to bring forward in this film that the audience coming in will not know about? Like Pepsi Bethel, who was that? When we hear about Pepsi Bethel, what will we learn? Pepsi Bethel was a Lindy Hopper, Savoy Lindy Hopper, who then went on to form his own jazz dance company. I think, was it the original jazz dance company, he called it? And so he was instrumental in in taking that vernacular and social dance onto the stage, but not in a studio codified kind of way. It was still very much rooted in his background in Lindy and Savoy. And I think Jojo Smith is the one that I really love people to know because we still go to the dance studios that were formulated to his idea that you could do everything on one roof. And as his son, Jason Samuel Smith says, it's like you go around the world and pretty much every dance studio is on that model. And I don't know how you quantify or show that contribution that someone makes to the world, but I think the fact that we were able to just even for a few seconds highlight that because most of my non-kind of traditional dancing was done at Pineapple. And you're like, oh, so I literally benefited directly from this man that I've never met and had never heard of. And it's affected my life in a huge, huge way. When I moved to New York back in 1980, that was the hot class. You went to Jojo Smith's class. Everybody had to be in that room with him and experience. Any others? There was Frank Hatchett as well. And we got some great original footage of Frank. So you filmed 70 interviews for the movie. We, We actually filmed... I think it was just over 80 and actually only 51, I say only, but 51 (laughs) made it into the film. And that spans four countries and 11 cities worldwide. Who were you most excited about interviewing? Who were the people that you jumped up and down when they agreed to do it? Lisa knows this because on the phone, I hyperventilated and had to call her back when she told me Debbie Allen had agreed to do it. And I just was like, I'm going to call you back. I was backstage working on a play and they were just like, are you okay? And of course, they didn't really understand what was happening and why I'd lost my breath and collapsed onto the floor. But for me, that was just that moment of childhood realization because from fame to a different world, Debbie Allen had shaped a lot of my kind of education. She was more than just someone I saw on the TV. She was how I learned to operate in a dance studio and how I wanted my dance teachers to be. So yeah, it was pretty special. I'm not going to lie. And I still don't quite believe it's happened. And I've watched the film how many times? And I'm just like, oh, yeah, that happened. Lisa, who was it for you? I think because I was the one, you know, had the hit list and I was reaching out to everyone. And so that was just my job to get everyone. I mean, I was very excited by Debbie because she was one of those last ones for us to get. I got Cheetah and I knew Zach really wanted Cheetah. So calling him about Cheetah was like one of my favorite moments, just like calling Kadifa about Debbie. So I'm more like the Santa Claus because I'd get these people and then get, be really excited to tell Zach and Kadifa, be like, oh my God, you'll never guess. So yeah, to be honest, I'm grateful for them all. And Zach, in addition oh, to Cheetah, who were you think, thrilled about? I mean, just to be involved in the, I'm, I will talk about Cheetah in a minute, <laughs> but just to be involved actually hear all these people, people that I've seen on the film and never actually worked with and love and adore from like just the history and blah, 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 blah. But yes, Cheetah, after 
finishing interviewing her, I think I just fell off my chair and just had a massive sigh of relief. Which is weird because as musical theatre performers and, and whatever, we work with these people. Lisa worked with Cheetah and, and, you know, I've worked with many people before. But, you know, when you just have that little wish list and they have meant so much to you in shaping you as a person, like... Kadifa said, in shaping you as a person, and I can't narrow it down to just one person, although Cheetah is a, uh, a goddess. And actually, we're so lucky that we had Graziella Danielle because they just stick a camera in front of them and they just chat for days. It was amazing and, and so much fun. And um, you had the two of them together. Yes, that was all Lisa. Lisa did very well there. It was Cheetah saying, absolutely, I'll do it, but I want Grazie to do it with me. And I was just like, sure, absolutely. Oh, wow, we're going to get Grazie and Danielle as well as Cheetah. And then I've watched this film a lot and I can still watch their interview clips in the film and I still smile, like genuinely from my heart because they're just the best people. So, yeah. So the story of jazz dance is the story of America. And we have three Brits coming together to tell the story of America. Do you think that as Brits, you have some perspective that maybe American filmmakers might not have? We started this as let's make a documentary about jazz dance. So it was more about the art form. Then you look into the history and it's so complicated and it is so ingrained in when it came over to America that you can't avoid going into the American history. And then what Kadifa did, looking through the social and political lens of going through each era and what was happening at the time and how that influenced the art form, it turns it into an American film. So from my point of view, we approached it as filmmakers, not as British people. I think it's also important to remember that anything that starts in slavery, as much as the British want to pretend that we had nothing to do with it and we were only abolitionists, because that's the only history we get to slavery was a worldwide event so it wasn't just america that was trafficking humans and for me coming from my parentage caribbean we all started in the same place but the boat just took some of my family to trinidad and tobago versus coming to america or brazil so it's all interconnected and so i think when you look at a story on that level on just a human level which is how i approached it not as a british person i approached it as more of a black woman than i did as a british person because i think that's my identity first you kind of see the similarities and how that story definitely relates to you way more yeah I suppose to be a little bit more specific to the angle I guess you're trying to get to, David, even though it is world history and it started from that place, I guess three Brits could sit back and maybe listen and listen as documentarians rather than someone who necessarily has the point of view or the only point of view, even though we all do have our point of view. I think we were able to sit back and have less bias even though that we all may have personal biases if that makes sense absolutely fantastic where can people see this film currently it's on hbo max all over the u.s and then hopefully we'll have some announcements coming soon of more releases coming up worldwide and as that comes out i will make sure that my audience knows about it and if you want to go on the website uprootedfilm.com there's lots of educational options as well so you can contact us about educational rental or possible events we're launching that because we feel like that is a big strong arm of what we've created thank you all for joining me today on broadway nation it's been such a fascinating conversation bye guys thanks david thank Thanks again to Lisa, Kadifa, and Zach, the creators of the new documentary film Uprooted, The Journey of Jazz Dance, now showing on HBO Max. 
Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, David Armstrong. This episode was made possible in part through the generous support of our Broadway Nation Backstage Pass Club members, Elizabeth Traxler, Ellie Schaefer, Judy Hucka, Gary Fuller, Stephen Reynolds, Robert Braun, Tracy Wellens, Daniel Cox, Chris Mode, Neil Hoyt, and Roger Clarice. Again, thank you all for being patrons of Broadway Nation. Special thanks to Pals Mox for his help with editing this episode, to KVSH 101.9, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and to the entire team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.